Good morning, Mendocino County, KZYX listeners. This is Alicia Bales. I am live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Good morning. Good morning. You've just come off of an overnight shift at the hospital? Uh, the swing shift. The What's dreaded a swing, swing shift? shift? You go in at 5 and you leave when, when you can. Oh. Yeah. They let you leave, though. Yeah, there's an overnight doctor that stays all night. Well, so. this so this is the local coronavirus update. We are here special for a fifth Tuesday edition because Omicron. 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 <laughs> so we thought uh, we usually come here uh, the second and fourth Tuesdays, but we thought it would be a good time to come in and just allay people's fears, give them or some. Or not? Oh, really? Oh no! no. Stoke no. people's fears. Yeah. Um, so we're here for the local coronavirus update on a special Fifth Tuesday, and we're going to do it exactly the same way. We'll give an update and then um, open the phone lines for your calls. So, Drew. Yes. What you got? Well, if nothing else, COVID's going to teach us all the letters of the Greek alphabet. I know. I never knew there was an Omicron. I think it's actually just a character from a Transformer movie. Or, why isn't it Omicron? I don't know. Is it an America thing? Omicron? Well, it, the British pronunciation is different, to be sure. What do they say? I think it's almost, uh, well, it's different. Just, oh, my crown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. COVID remains uh, more or less static in the county. Uh, we're still adding somewhere between 15 and 20 cases a day. Uh, we've added 100 cases. Um, in since the, our last show. Since our last show in one week. So our total case count is up to 8,200. Um, hospitalization uh, remains more or less around, uh, you know, somewhere between 7 and 10 um, on any given day. Um, as of yesterday, we had nine hospitalized. Um, we added a couple more last night, so that's going to, I think, probably go up. Um, we've unfortunately had three more deaths just in this past week, bringing our um, total death count up to 97. That has to be our worst week yet, huh? Uh, I think we had a similar a couple of similar weeks mm -hmm. with three deaths, um, but that's that's pretty high. Um, and unfortunately, or oddly, California seems to be doing better as a whole than Mendocino County. Um, so California numbers are continuing to improve for the moment. Uh, we're still dropping down about 10 to 12 percent uh, on the rolling seven to 10 day average. The U.S. trend um, is now starting to tilt slightly upward, and I think that will um, more sharply go upward over the course of the next week or two. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the holiday travel does and indoor activities does, but I don't think it's certainly going to make things better. Um, and, uh, obviously, the big news is this new variant. Um, it is certainly getting a lot of attention. It doesn't really affect us here in the county as of yet, but to be sure, it is in this country somewhere. Uh, it just hasn't been found yet. Um, so the notion of keeping it out is um, factitious at best. Um, they keep adding the number of countries that it's been found in. It's in Canada. It's in, I think, 18 or 19 countries as of the latest count this morning. So it'll be, it'll be here. It'll get here. Um, the travel ban affected by the Biden administration is just a joke. Um, it's, it's really politics rather than um, public health. Is it just kind of performative politics? Yeah, I mean, it's it's on par with sort of the way um, the Trump administration handled the initial cruise ship <laughs> outbreak and mm. flying people back. I mean, it's, it's really not going to do anything to limit um, the um, 
spread of this strain into the United States. And if this strain is, in fact, as uh, re more readily contagious um, than the other strains, then it will become the dominant strain uh, worldwide over the course of the next you know, three to six months. We've seen it all before with yes. Delta. Yes. Well, so tell us about Omicron. So why are people so concerned about it? Well, it, you, you know those albums that they used to put out on in the tape era, the cassette era. You know the the Rolling Stones' greatest hits, or the so this this really does contain a collection of um, coronavirus's greatest hits um, in terms of mutations, particularly on the spike protein, um, and that collection hadn't been seen before in any of the strains. So the people who think about this a lot, the virologists, not the public health officers, but the people who structure the study, the molecular structure of these viruses are significantly concerned because this contains a whole collection of mutations, particularly along the spike protein that allow this virus to attach to the epithelial cells of our respiratory tract. So it really gives the virus an increased capacity to attach to its human hosts, which is how it spreads. Um, and so there's concern that it's going to require a much lower viral load to cause an infection, um, which means it's more contagious. Kind of like Delta, but perhaps Delta on steroids, unfortunately. Okay. But we don't we don't know that yet. That's just hypothesized from what we know or what these virologists know from, you know, studying all, studying this virus pretty intensively for the last couple of years. And that's still hypothesized. But in the areas where this is dominant in these small regions in South Africa, um, it has quickly become the, the main strain um, and has caused a very significant spike in cases. Now, due to the worldwide complete incompetence of vaccine delivery, um, this is in a very, uh, this is in a population that has very low level of vaccine um, administration. And so we don't really know yet how it's going to be corralled or contained by the mm -hmm. vaccine. We just don't have that answer yet. I heard that in all of the continent of Africa, they have 6% vaccination rate. In the whole continent. That, so, which sounds is like, that sounds like rural Idaho, but yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> very, yes. very, very low. Yes. yes. I, I mean, as soon as I heard about Omicron, I thought, oh yeah, Drew said this would happen. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it was utterly foreseen. Um, and, you know, we didn't know where it would come up or what it would look like when it did appear. But this is a, an absolutely predictable consequence of our, our incapacity to organize a global response to a global pandemic. And, you know, the, the blame rests largely with um, the two administrations that have been managing the U.S. response to this pandemic. We have, we paid for a very effective vaccine, and we have continued to protect the patent protections of the companies that were paid to develop these vaccines. Those could be released. We could have had a, you know, billions of vaccine doses manufactured worldwide wide and administered but you know money first so it's not actually capacity no it's priority yes so okay so what do we know about if anything about how virulent it is like does it make people sicker is it more deadly so we don't really know yet um the the primary concern the reason why this is getting you know more attention or heightened attention i think the response is frankly 
exaggerated, um, to be sure. But the reason why there is um, grave concern, particularly amongst you know the people who are paid to think about this, um, is it is likely going to be much more contagious, so much more readily transmitted from person to person. What is also probable, although not quite as likely, is that the um, the ability of the virus to evade the protection afforded by the vaccine is going to be increased. So it's not going to, the vaccinated immunity is not going to be effective against the strain. We don't know that for sure, but we do know that the vaccine-induced immunity or even the natural immunity from the previous strains really focuses on um, the spike protein. And there are 30-plus mutations on this Omicron's spike protein, which is going to theoretically and probably um, lower our immune response when we do get exposed to it. I've heard that the um, mRNA producers are trying to tweak and adjust the the formula to fit the new yeah, mutations. Yeah, so they're, they're moving they're moving quickly um, to you know at least get the blueprint or the template formulated to. Um, tweak the vaccine so there will be a slightly different formulation. That will take about three months uh, to get that into the supply chain, which sounds like a long time, but it's probably about as long as it's going to take for Omicron to really um, take hold, um, you know, in this country or, you know, more worldwide uh, distribution. We'll see. But the, the mRNA vaccines have the distinct advantage of being readily modified um, with, you know, just a few tweaks to the the coding, if you will, um, which will allow it to, you know, give heightened immunity. So we'll see. It All in all, however, we aren't really back where we were, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago. We have a vaccine. We have a, vac- a population that's largely vaccinated, and we have much greater knowledge of how to manage people with COVID. There are also medications that are going to be, you know, available, additional medications that are going to be available, I suspect, well before we start to see the Omicron surge in this country, which is coming, to be sure. We will see this surge probably sometime late January into February, early March. That's my prediction. I might be wrong. This might be like Mew, we hardly knew you, but I, I, I doubt it. I, I think it is I think it is on its way. I think I'd prefer if it was Mew. It's more fun to say, and Omicron does sound like a sci-fi character. Well, it it has a lot of mutations, so I mean if we're talking fits. about our, you know, our mutation fandom here. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's not a laughing matter. It's very serious. Oh, I yes, I. <laughs> it, it is uh, the the thing that's risible is the fact that we have been so completely incompetent in in managing this. I mean, it's it's really as though the the virus has infected our response to a global pandemic in a way that it, it's not it's not shocking to be sure, but it's it's certainly disappointing. Yeah, well, and as we've been saying from the beginning, it's just exposed our weaknesses. It's exposed the places where we aren't taking care of each other globally. So I wonder how the response is going to be by um, the world now that 
you know, the predictions about a new uh, a new strain have come true, that if you don't vaccinate large swaths of the world, well, this is our second round, right? Because we had um, Delta coming out of largely unvaccinated populations in India, I think. Yes. And, then, and now uh, largely unvaccinated populations in, in Africa. Um, and that's just what's going to keep happening. So I wonder if this is going to shock the world into action. Don't hold your breath. I'm sorry. Okay. A little flake of optimism over no. here on this side. So uh, you asked another question in terms of um, the severity of the yes. illness from the strain. I, I kind of rifted, but didn't answer that. And we don't we don't know that either yet um, is the short answer. Um, anecdotally, it appears that it doesn't produce a more severe illness. Um, there's not a lot of data on that. But what they are seeing in the populations in South Africa, where there are you know, fairly substantial numbers of people with this strain, um, it doesn't seem to be producing a worse illness. And that's, that's kind of what we may expect from viral mutation, right? It's not, it's not beneficial to develop a mutation that immediately kills your host um you Good you, point. you want your host to stay alive so the, yeah, so the host <laughs> can continue to transmit that virus and so it's not you know what we see time and time again with viruses is they generally don't mutate to become more deadly um but they mutate to become more readily transmitted and or that's, if they have a career they the deadliness is not the thing that gives them it does not advance spread. their career. Yes, yes. Exactly. And, and you know this this virus certainly does have a very successful career. It does. Yeah. The most successful. Yes. It's the Beatles of viruses. <laughs> okay, shall we shall we open the phone lines? Why not? Okay. This is the local coronavirus update, special fifth Tuesday edition. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we would invite you to call in now with your questions about coronavirus. 895-2448 here in the Philo studio, 707-895-2448. We'll wait. <laughs> Other news. Yes. It's not all just Omicron. Um, Pfizer is um, applying for its booster for its vaccine for 16, 17-year-olds. Um, and Molnupiravir, the, one of these pill viral treatments. Wait, how do you say it? Well, I say it quickly because I'm not 100% oh. sure, but it's molnupiravir. <laughs> molnupiravir? Yep. Close this enough. Is, this is the one from Merck. Okay. Um, it's um, undergoing review right now. Probably we're going to have a word within the next week or two as to whether that's going to get emergency use authorization. All right. So as you were saying, the tools to fight this thing now to push back are being developed we're yes, in a totally yes. different place than we were Although the still the best tool is the vaccine and we might actually see some people who've been sitting on the fence decide to get vaccinated before this the strain arrives we'll the see omicron wave of vaccination yes okay let's take our first call good morning caller you are live on the air um yeah i'm from willis and i called in last week and basically was complaining about having to take the vaccine but i did take it for my sister's sake not for mine but i found it and when i called in last week i couldn't remember why i called and i finally did it's because it's made me stupid i can't i cannot blame think. the vaccine I, I can't even make the whole phone number stick in my brain if i hear it i can't do that anymore something is seriously wrong with vaccines and i can't get my memory to work right anymore i was wondering what do i do about that 
Well, I doubt that it's the vaccine that has triggered this. Oh, it happened like within days. Yeah, so a lot of people get vaccinated. I've had this my entire life. I'm I'm over 60 years old. Yeah. And this was like immediate, and it's getting worse. I can't understand what is going on with the vaccine. Why would it do that to me? Yeah, I I haven't seen a lot of reports of this type of a side effect from the vaccine. Yeah, well, they've. They forget to tell you because they can't think anymore. They had the vaccine. You know, one of the symptoms of long COVID, I think, or even just COVID infection, is brain fog. Right? There are yes. neurological oh, definitely um, results from COVID. definitely, um, but not not generally reported from the vaccine. Um, well, so. this definitely, in my opinion, straight from the vaccine. I can't change that idea. Okay, do you want to let Dr. Colfax respond? Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah, so I I, I hear your problem, I hear your concern, um, and I'm not not completely denying that it could be related to the vaccine. We just haven't seen a lot of people with your experience um, having that side effect. So I would... I would urge caution um, to link causality to your brain fog or your memory problems to this this vaccination. I would actually recommend that you go see your doctor to be assessed as to whether something else is going on, despite your, um, you know, your firm belief that it is related to the vaccine. Um, I just I haven't seen a lot of case reports or heard a lot of anecdotal reports even of a brain fog from being vaccinated. I certainly have seen a lot of people. It's more or less total stupidity. It's not even a fog. It's like I look at a phone number or I hear a phone number. I can't. I remember all the numbers, but they're all jumbled up when I try to write it down or dial it. It's Definitely from the um, vaccine. And if anyone out there has the same problem, please call in now so we can get this either shown or taken care of because it's wrong to have my memory messed up by a, a thing that the government's telling me I need. All right. We'll call it the Mendocino effect. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. I am another person who has a brain fog who got from the Moderna virus and it lasted for about a month and a week and then it started to go away. Okay. Well, a lot of brain foggy people. It sounds like more of short-term memory loss for the first caller. Um, And when you say the Moderna virus, I presume you mean the Moderna vaccine. Yes, I do mean the Moderna vaccine. Okay. Um, All right, so, and then there were two. I talked to a doctor, I talked to the doctors, and they wouldn't respond to me about that until a couple months it it was going on. They told me that it was from the vaccine. Well, you probably wore them down. You would certainly (laughs) not hear that from me. I, I, again, am not going to um, jump on the bandwagon of short-term memory loss or brain fogginess as a side effect from the vaccine. I just, there haven't been a lot of case reports of that. Um, Now, it does, it does bear um, at least consideration um, that it could be from the vaccine. We know that the virus, when you're infected with it, and even in asymptomatic patients, can have some neurologic sequelae. Um, And so 
inducing an immune response that mimics um, the virus may cause you know some short-term memory loss or brain fogginess. I just haven't seen that data, and anecdotally, I hear your concern, um, but you know there's there's just not a lot of um, evidence to support that as of yet. The good thing, at least in your experience, is it appears to be self-limiting, which is to say it clears after a while. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's interesting that we have two calls in yeah. quick succession. In well, our I county. mean, the other thing that we have been going through that causes brain fog and confusion and, you know, feelings of not being able to think clearly is trauma. And, you know, this has been an incredible trauma for our community and for our society. And so, you know, it's hard to know what causes feelings of confusion or brain fog. But I think, you know, probably everyone who's been listening has had um, that experience over the course of the last almost two years as we're just like in this horrible experience together. Well, I got to say that I also have had many head injuries and I was wondering if that had something to do with it. But it pretty much definitely was from the vaccine. I'm, I'm just one of those people, and it's everybody's different. So, yeah, no, and just letting you guys know. I'm just letting you guys know, and thanks a lot for your show. Yeah, yeah of course. For the call. No, and, you know, the fact that you reference head injuries, I mean, you know, cog- cognition is so complex. Um, it's quite possible that, you know, his, his neurocircuitry was just a little bit more sensitive to the vaccine, um, and this may be a rare self-limiting side effect of the vaccine. I don't know. I, I don't see a lot of data to support that. Um, I can tell you that the brain fog from sick COVID patients can be much more dense than what these two callers seem to be reporting. Um, but stay tuned, I guess, is the right, answer there. Total lack of being able to function. Um, all right, we got the phone lines lighting up here. It's 707-895-2448. Oh. Love it when well, that happens. They lit up and... Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Yeah, hi. Um, well, I'm vaccinated, and my brain isn't any foggier than it usually is at the moment. But... <laughs> well, but... neither is mine, but go ahead. Uh, so my, my questions are actually just asking for some clarification. You know, in all the reporting all this past year or more about the, the epidemic and, you know, the... There's been, I mean, it's clear to me that, you know, it's clearly stated that the vaccine prevents serious illness and hospitalization, or does a great job of that. But the whole thing about whether the vaccine, uh, what kind of effect it has on, if you're vaccinated, whether you'll catch the virus and whether you can pass it on, those numbers are all have always been really mushy. Yes. And, and I, I understand that, you know, inclusive stuff, but I think it would be helpful to people that are dubious about the va- vaccine to be more clear about, you know, even though it's mushy, it would be a little clearer about, you know, percentage-wise or whatever light you could shed on how much less likely it is that you'll get the virus if you're vaccinated and how much more likely it'll be if you uh, transmit it to somebody else, say if you're, if you're not um, symptomatic. You know, if you're vaccinated and you're not symptomatic, how likely it is if you'll pass it on to somebody else. Those numbers have always been really kind of, fu- you know, it's, a, it's been punted so many times that I think that creates a lot of 
distrust and confusion. Maybe there's no solution to that, but maybe you could shed a little bit more light on those kind of questions. Yeah, that's. I haven't really. I uh, haven't really heard it clear, clear, clearly, clearly stated. Anyway, I'm going to get off the phone and let you go ahead on that. Yeah, you make a good point. Um, and the reason why those numbers have been more fuzzy is because it's actually really hard to get a firm handle on that. I hesitate to endorse the notion that the unvaccinated amongst us are going to suddenly decide to get vaccinated when I rattle off statistics. This is not a a, a rational analysis in terms of uh, from a medical perspective that the unvaccinated are making. And so a breakdown of the science or the data, I don't think is going to persuade the unvaccinated amongst us to get vaccinated. That's just that that bespeaks a higher confidence in um, a scientific discussion than um, than the unvaccinated are willing to engage in. So with that preamble, um, what the numbers show is if you are vaccinated, and as the caller referenced, and if you're vaccinated, you have about a 10 time reduction, risk reduction in hospitalization. So an astonishingly high reduction in hospitalization and about a 13 time reduction in the risk of death. Um, so again, astonishingly effective um, rates of protection um, by being vaccinated. The caller's question, however, is not about that. And so, you know, we're talking about a vaccine that is proven to work extremely well in the way we want it to work, which is reduction in hospitalization and reduction in death. However, um, it doesn't prevent people from getting, getting COVID and from spreading COVID. Pre-Delta, um, it appeared that the vaccine was quite effective, probably on the order of 75% effective in reducing the risk of transmission. When Delta appeared on the, screen, on the scene um, and it was so much more contagious, that reduction um, was not thought to be as high. It might have been about a 50% uh, reduction in the rate of transmission uh, comparing the vaccinated individual with the unvaccinated individual. Um, and so that's kind of the number that most of us have been holding on to, and that continues to be a fairly good um, estimate of how good this is at reducing risk of transmission. It might be off by even a factor of two, um, but you know that's kind of where the data is settling. There's not hard studies on this, right? So it really does require and rely on population studies, looking at the percentage of vaccinated people, trying to do contact tracing to figure out who it's spreading amongst and how it's spreading and how quickly it's spreading, and then doing a pretty complex statistical analysis on that rather mushy data to come up with this estimate. So as the caller points out, not super firm. This is not like it's a randomized, you know, placebo-controlled trial to figure out what the rate of transmission is. Um, Second part of the caller's question is in regard to illness, um, sort of low-level illness. And the vaccine still, even with Delta, is quite effective at reducing the risk of symptomatic illness. 
it's probably not as effective as we initially hoped at preventing asymptomatic illness, um, which is to say you might still get a very, very mild case of COVID if you're vaccinated, perhaps not even know it if you're not tested, and still perhaps be spreading it amongst the community. So, you know, things like social distancing and, you know, masking are still really good ideas. You know, those those conversations, you know, for better or for worse, have largely fallen away um, and largely, you know, huge swaths of the country aren't wearing masks anymore. Unfortunately, these are swaths of the country that aren't really super well vaccinated yet. So we're going to continue to see this virus spread even amongst the unvaccinated or amongst the vaccinated, um, you know, at lower levels for months to come. Is that what you're seeing in the hospital? Unvaccinated people are still predominantly the people coming to the hospital? Predominantly. With COVID? With COVID, um, yes. Yeah, so the, the, the people who are coming in um, either um, are unvaccinated or just got vaccinated. Um, you know, that's that we saw cases like this over the weekend. You know, oh, I just got my first vaccine last week and now I'm here really sick with COVID. It's kind of like, well, sorry, but, you know, it's kind of not too late i'm glad you're vaccinated decided to get vaccinated but it wasn't soon enough kind of thing um but you know we're also seeing you know in in jurisdictions all over the country states all over the country this continued wave after wave and so some states get really bad and then it drops off because people pull back um and then it increases again with sort of a trailing hospitalization and death rate so you know the 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 rocky mountain states were really bad a month ago um those numbers have dropped precipitously in terms of daily case counts, but the death counts in those states are, you know, higher than they've ever been. Um, and that is how this has been unfolding for the last 18 months now. Lurching along. Yes. All right. It's the local coronavirus update, special fifth Tuesday edition. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we're taking your calls for the next half hour here, 707 895 2448-895-2448. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. Uh, hard to reach the radio. I'll just step out of the room here. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, one is um, I think it's worth noting that uh, while the uh, vaccination in Africa in general may be small, uh, the situation in South the country of South Africa where this Omicron was detected is actually very similar to the U.S. They have uh, more vaccines available than they can get people to take. Um, and they have a reasonably uh, good vaccination per- percentage, I believe. Yeah, no, that, that is a good point. Um, you know, South Africa is, you know, one of the outliers um, in terms of vaccination rate. I haven't really done a deep dive as to where this is thought to have originated, whether it's from one of the adjoining countries such as Botswana. Um, we, I don't know if they know that yet. But um, Well, in a world where one person on one airplane flight could, you know, screw up the whole origin uh, story. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing is... Um, Oh, uh, the um, the idea of keeping track of anecdotal stories about, you know, side effects from vaccinations, I think it's important to, in fact, I think I heard you say at one point that the uh, providers should report any suspected side effects into the system. I don't know, but I mean, the people I know who are most anti-vax, that's one of the things they're always on about 
is, oh, so-and-so had a stroke right after they got their vaccination, you know. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, to be careful with that information and try to handle it respectfully and, and as accurately as possible. Fi- finally, I just wanted to ask a question about, um, I, I have a general impression that the side effects of the vaccinations, you know, I've been in there three times now, two shots and the booster, and I've noticed a slightly increase of side effects each time. Like the first time I hardly noticed it, the second time I got a, a uh, sore arm, and when I got the booster uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a uh, a sore arm that lasted for another an extra day, and uh, and a day where I felt kind of a little lethargic. Uh, is there any basis of that? Does uh, is there a progression? Uh, yeah, it's of, a, of symptoms. It's a good question, and I you know I think everybody's experience has differed. Um, there's just. Yeah, so what we're seeing really is a widespread of response of the sort of the short-term side effects of the vaccination. It is quite common, and I think the trend has been for people to have you know, very mild, if any, response to the initial shot, um, a more robust response, oftentimes, you know, fevers and chills the next day kind of thing, um, to the second shot. And then the booster for many people, the side effects are mimicking the second shot. But it does seem to vary a bit. Um, it also seems to vary as to whether you're getting boosted with the Moderna versus the Pfizer. We'll leave the J&J out of this for a moment. Um, and you know, people tend to have a slightly more robust uh, constellation of side effects from the Moderna when compared to the Pfizer. I, you know, there's not great data for that, but when I when I talk to a lot of patients and fellow providers, that seems to be our collective anecdotal experience. Is there any uh, parallel between the uh, side effects of the vaccination as compared to the disease itself and milder cases? You know, it, it is kind of mimicking the disease, so it might stand to reason that the effect would be uh, similar uh, in some sense. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, I guess, similar in a very mild sense. Um, so uh, you might, you might, right, not as bad. Yeah, so you, you might take away from this, you know, getting boosted and feeling cruddy the next day um, as being akin to a very mild case of COVID. Um, that's, that's, you know, that's reasonable, I guess. It's much like people who get boosted for the flu shot and feel like they have the flu the next day. They don't, in fact, have the flu. They just have a, um, a, a an immune response that is training us to recognize the flu. But it can feel a lot like the flu if you have a robust response to the influenza booster. And this is the same sort of thing. It's it's just not as severe um, by, by far, at least not as severe as the more symptomatic people that I see at work okay thank you all right thanks for the call yeah i've sort of avoided getting boosted because of that and it didn't seem like it was going to make a huge difference but do you advise that people do it now you know i i i do um and you know just to just to sort of 
plug the CDC, they actually strengthened their recommendation. I know, right? You're wide-eyed. So they, they finally <laughs> decided that we should get boosted. I, you know, As I said months ago, it, it, it's a misguided use of the vaccine. We should have been shipping these all worldwide to get the entire world population vaccinated the initial time. But that is, you know, that ship has sailed months and months ago. At this point, um, I think it does make sense to get boosted. Um, a lot of us are reaching our six to eight month um, window since we got the initial two shot series. I would, if I were a listener, get boosted in the next month or two, if I haven't, just in time for this new strain's arrival. Mm -hmm. We don't know how good this booster will be against this strain, but I can assure you that it will offer some substantial um, protection. All right, and we'll probably have another booster from Omicron, perhaps, maybe. Maybe. You know, so the, know. The, these these big drug companies are being proactive, kudos to them, but they are being proactive at testing and developing, um, you know, a, a tweaking of the formula to protect against this strain. Whether that needs to be done or not, we just don't know. Whether I was concerned that it needed to be done with Delta, and it didn't because the vaccine worked against Delta quite well. It's just that Delta was much more contagious. And we might see the same thing with this strain. We're just we're just not there yet. All right. Let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You are live on the, on the air. Thanks for waiting. Hello. Um, as a layperson, um, I caution people not to pretend to be medical experts because that could be problematic. You know, I had a family member who years ago got a flu shot, and uh, she claimed that was the sickest he ever got from the flu, and she's certain that the uh, uh, shot caused it. But my understanding is that there's no live virus in the flu shot, and there's no way you can get the flu. So it's sort of like if something's going to happen, it'll, it will happen no matter if you don't or do get it. Like if you're going to get sick with something, and you happen to get a, a, a vaccine, it doesn't mean that causes it. Or if you didn't get the vaccine, you still get sick. That doesn't mean, you know, it's causation is what I'm talking about. And one thing doesn't necessarily cause the other. Yes, that's that is a very good point, and you know that that can cause a lot of confusion. So, you know, if somebody gets the COVID vaccine and then drives home and you know runs into a deer and drives into a ditch. You know, you could say that that's because they got vaccinated because they might not have been hitting the road at that point. But it's certainly not caused by the vaccine. Um, that's obviously a boneheaded example, but um, the 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 causation can be really complex to tease out. Um, you know, the pre, one of the first callers talked about friends who aren't vaccinated and they had friends who had a stroke after getting vaccinated. We just haven't seen that in sort of the meta-analysis of side effects from this vaccine. We have seen some things that are worrisome and we've talked about them on this show and they have gotten attention, such as myocarditis. We started seeing some cases of myocarditis early on in the vaccine drive and there was some early concern that was borne out by the analysis of the data 
that that was in fact induced by the vaccine. So there is a small but real increased risk of myocarditis being induced by vaccination. A lot of these other things remain in the anecdotal realm uh, without enough data to support um, causation, as, as you rightly point out. Yeah, and unfortunately, certain people will grasp onto straws and, you know, change it around where, oh, yeah, it's definitely this. Oh, they'll get a long list of anti-vax information that are bogus at best a lot of times. And um, they, 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 sometimes I think people out there are purposely trying to put misinformation out there just because they want to, which is unfortunate because we're talking about a very serious, deadly virus. Sure. And no, and people are dying from this. Yes, yes, indeed. You know, it's you know almost 100 people dead in this county from the virus, largely people who have a lot of comorbidities. Um, but there's been a lot of morbidity, um, which is to say significant illness from this virus, um, just directly from the virus, not even going into the side effects of everything else that we've been through. But there, there is also, you know, this this phenomena of confirmation bias. So if you're primed to believe that the virus is going to cause side effects, you will scour the web or whatever sort of bogus um, news source you go to and find that data. That that can be found. You I am sure. You can find it absolutely. Yes. Um, and so. You know, if you're inclined to be a vaccine skeptic, go ahead, Google away. There is a world of information that will confirm your skepticism. All right, caller, thank you so much for the comments. Hey, thank you. Hello, caller, you're live on the air. Hi. Um, one thing, it's like the elephant in the room, uh, that in any reporting, anything reporting about COVID, I have not heard Word number one, except for the, did it start in a lab? Did it start in China? Did it start in the uh, Wuhan, uh, you know, weird animal meat markets? Um, what would be helpful and science? some of the science that would be, I think, really needed is, um, uh, are we doing anything? Have we started has anyone started doing anything about the filthy ways we handle uh, the uh, animal or meat uh, industries and markets? And is anything being done about uh, shutting down these uh, labs that are inventing diseases? Yeah, so it's a... There I, I'm surprised you haven't heard the first word about this, because this has been an area of intense interest, both in the um, in the conspiracy sphere and at the highest levels of the government as to what the origins of this virus were or are. Um, the 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 party line, the government's sort of analysis remained inconclusive after a pretty intense um, scrutiny of the available data as to whether this came from an animal um, vector or whether this came from a lab escape. Um, it's still thought probable um, that it came from an animal source, um, but the lab escape hypothesis still has some 
you know, rational adherence. Um, it's not improbable that it could have escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We don't know that at all. Um, there's not good data for it, but there's also not yet a clear animal source that has been identified. And frankly, the Chinese government has not really helped clarify this at all because they have restricted considerably or totally um, WHO sort of inspectors and investigators and virologists going in and trying to tease this out. So there's rank, there's, there's a lot of room for um, speculation in this area. I don't find it particularly um, fruitful because it doesn't really change where we are at this point. But wouldn't but, it behoove us to address both of these areas in terms of risk management even and clean this stuff up regardless. Yeah, yeah no, you... Yeah, no, because I, we're pretty sure that it's not good. Yes. And just like with the, when the Delta came out in India and now the uh, Omicron uh, in South Africa, this would be an, an excellent... We've got two more opportunities now to, to, to try and locate... Where did this start? How do, what are their relationships with uh, the, the animals uh, and the labs? Yeah, so let's just be clear, though. You're, you're talking about two different things now. Um, the virus strains that keep emerging worldwide, whether you describe it to a... Uh, ascribe it to a particular country or region or continent, I don't find as useful. Um, but those strains are not emerging from animals. Those are emerging from people as it transmits from person to person, you know, on the rate, you know, at the rate of, you know, a half million cases a day worldwide. That gives this virus um, wide opportunity to mutate. Um, so the animal question, the animal equation um, really stems back to, you know, fall. Is that turn- no, no? Oh, is that something that's known or is that a theory? No, that is known. So we know that this virus, like any virus, mutate, has the potential to mutate anytime it replicates. And viruses replicate um, very quickly. So any, any organism obviously can mutate. The human life cycle is about 20 years, right? But the viral one is seven days. So it has a much faster opportunity to accumulate mutations that may or may not be, you know, evolution advantageous. As we saw with Delta, you know, you can accumulate um, mutations that allow it to spread more rapidly, and it then has this huge evolutionary advantage and explodes on the worldwide scene. That might be what we are seeing now with this new strain um, that we're just learning about in the last week or 10 days. But it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with animals at this point. Now, it clearly may have had something to do with animals because we know coronaviruses are endemic in a large number of animal populations, particularly in animals like civets and bats. Pangolins. Pangolins. Um, I was hoping we'd get to pangolins. (laughs) Um, But we still haven't identified this animal source despite, you know, the the theory or the possibility that it came from this exotic animal meat market in Wuhan, China. Well, it's that's because this is a common way for viruses to start, right? That's where they look for viruses exactly. because that's where and they it start. This exactly speaks to my point, which is regardless of whether we can locate the specific animal or or even you know species, um, 
we need to clean up these relationships and these activities. Because corona, we're all about coronavirus now, but what about the, you know, or maybe it's a different coronavirus. You know, what about the next thing? No, what about agreed. the next thing? Agreed. All right, caller, I'm going to move you. on. Thanks so Bye. much. Bye-bye. Um, yeah. Hello, caller, you're live on the air. Caller? Yes, I'm here. That's you? Oh, good. You are live on the air. Okay. All right. I have an experience report and and a couple of questions. The experience report is I got my first two shots of Moderna, and I had very strong reactions to them. The second one worse than the first one. And so I decided to to get a BioNTech-Pfizer booster, you know, because I figured, what are the odds, right? Um, And uh, I had an even more serious reaction. I was actually, and still am, down for the count for almost a week. Not that I would never have gotten the booster. I still recommend getting the booster. I just want to report that that's what happened to me. But the question I have is, two questions. I heard you talk before in previous shows, by the way, thank you so much for coming back to do this, uh, about the uh, that that uh, lack of reaction to the to the vaccination does not cor- necessarily correlate with the, you know, the strength of the immune response. And so I'm just hoping that the silver lining in this heavy response that I've been having is that maybe does it correlate with a stronger reaction? And then the second the second question I have is, is um, or should I wait for your answer and then ask my second question? Yeah, so that, that's a good question. It's certainly one that I've heard a lot. Um, I, I can, you know, to share my anecdotal experience, I got boosted with the Moderna um, several weeks ago and had a, an exuberant response to that. Um, I felt terrible the next day. I hypothesize, and again, this is just rank speculation, that it was due to the fact that I've been exposed to COVID pretty much on a daily basis at work for a year and probably have a fairly high degree of circulating antibodies. So when I got this shot in my arm um, as a booster, my body was quite primed to recognize this and just went, you know, on high alert. I unfortunately can't state um, that there's any data to support that the depth of our reaction to either the initial shots or this booster reflects in any way the efficacy of our immune response and sort of the durability of our immunity to the virus. I would like to, because you'd like to think that that miserable few days, or in your case a week, uh, means that you are more protected, but there, there really isn't any data to support that at this point. Too bad. <laughs> I know, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's good news but for people question, who didn't other, have a reaction. Yeah. I'm sorry? It's good news for those who didn't have a strong reaction. They also have immunity. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Um, it seems to be genetic. My, my daughter had COVID, and she's had a booster, and she's had the vaccine, and her immunity is off the charts. So they they can actually get it tested there. They test for antigens. Yeah. But maybe maybe it's genetic. Mm. All right. And you had a second question? Can I ask my second question? Sure. Yeah, the second question has to do with testing. Um, I am hearing uh, information out of Germany that where they use the rapid test a lot. You know, they have this 3G system there mm-hmm. where you can only get access to an event if you're either vaccinated, uh, recovered from COVID, COVID, or have recently been tested, the three Gs, get geimpft, get tested, genesen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so they use a lot of the rapid tests, and there's, there's been information coming out recently that the rapid tests may not be very accurate in people, in vaccinated people. 
or in people who have had COVID before. So I'm wondering if you've heard anything about that. I, I, I haven't seen any good uh, studies on that. I mean, there's been a lot of concern as to whether these rapid tests are good enough to be reliable. Um, and the general consensus still is that the answer is yes. It would be nice if we had a lot more uh, availability of these rapid tests, um, you know, in the way that the German government has organized to, you know, allow for safer gatherings or indoor events or dining or whatnot. Um, and I think taken as as a whole, the rapid tests, even in Germany, as being used, are good enough to allow a population-based reduction in risk. Whether they're good enough for an individual to rely upon um, to, you know, engage in higher-risk activity, if that individual is, you know, at high risk for severe COVID, I don't know. Um, they can be reassuring to be certain, but there's still just not clarity around that. Whether they're less effective or less um, accurate in people who have been vaccinated, I very much doubt that. That doesn't really um, reflect how these tests work and the vaccine status shouldn't be affecting their sensitivity or specificity um, as to whether the pre people who have been previously infected with COVID somehow skewing the response Again, I would urge caution from drawing any hypotheses there. there. There isn't good data for that. So the inherent quality of the test is still really the open question as to whether it's good enough to allow um, a high degree of reliance. And in general, I think the consensus is yes. But, you know, good luck finding rapid tests in this country. Oh, oh, they are they're available. Back. Yeah, yeah no, I know we they're have back. them here yes. in Ukiah. A friend yeah. of mine found one this weekend. All right, caller, thank you so much. We're going to try to get one more call in. Thank you. All right, caller, we just have a couple of minutes left, so if you can make it super short. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Um, question, question for vaxxed and boosted seniors. Some of my myself and my friends have been very cautious, uh, but some are starting to go to movies and different types of things like that. Uh, some of us more cautious people are going, what should we do now? Do you have any advice? <laughs> Well, it really depends with your comfort with risk, right? And so right now, in general, if you are a senior and you're vaxxed and boosted and don't have a lot of risk factors besides the fact that you're, say, over 60, um, my advice would be to analyze what you really find important and it's probably okay to engage in those activities now if going to movies are is that important to you um then it's probably okay but i wouldn't sit in the movie theater chomping on popcorn without a mask on if i'm over 60. i've gone you know, into more crowded um, situations indoors in the last couple months, but I'm vaxxed and boosted and just a hair under 60 uh, with a fair amount of exposure to COVID at work. So in my personal risk analysis, I think it's okay to start engaging in these activities. It all, however, falls on one's individual own risk assessment. The absolute risk of getting COVID in somebody who is vaxxed and boosted um, is quite low if you know, in terms of a severe COVID response. It's still possible, but it's not as though we shut everything down and stay at home and don't do anything during flu season. And influenza is an illness that generally kills the elderly every year on the order of, you know, eight to 10,000 people um, nationwide every single flu season. 
Our risk at this point, if we're vaccinated and boosted, is about like that. Um, I might suggest waiting another month or so when we have these antiviral pills um, available, because that's going to substantially reduce the risk of a more severe illness once you once one does get COVID and is symptomatic. But you know, at this point, I would recommend being thoughtful and being attuned to one's own risk assessment. We do a lot of risky things all the time, right? I've talked about the risk of driving on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, that risk, you know, is is real. And yet we do it because we need to get various places. Um, the risk from uh, from COVID is still real, but it is getting lower despite this, you know, strain that we're all talking about emerging from somewhere. All right, caller, thanks so much. This has been the local coronavirus update. We have just a couple seconds left. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, callers. I will. We'll be back in. Two weeks. Yeah, we'll be back in two weeks. Next week, it's uh, Dr. Marvin Trotter with Mind Body Health. That'll be a great show. And we'll be back the following week, the second Tuesday of December, with more COVID news and answers to your many questions. Thanks so much, everybody. This has been the Local Coronavirus Update podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax, produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg, California. You can also hear us live on the web 24 hours a day at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us in our new time every second and fourth Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Our live studio call-in number is 707-895-2448. You can also email your questions anytime at dj at kzyx.org. And you can always catch us right here as a podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams. And our outro music is a song called Stump Town, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. We'll see you next time.